our scripture reading is 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 19, and Michael Millett is going to read for us today. In honor of God's word, let's stand together. Listen as I read. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in, this, in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, we're in a series uh, called The Gospel Changes Everything, and uh, over these weeks we're just considering a handful of subjects and kind of uh, asking the question of how does the gospel speak to this. Um, and today we are going to tackle the subject of money. Um, you know, the, 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 the last 12 or 13 months, you know, we, we for a long time were just referring to 2020, like 2020 was the worst, but now here we are like the four months into 2021 and we're still dealing with all, all kinds of things, many of the same strains and strain, uh, same questions uh, that we were dealing with in, in 2020. Uh, but as we navigated this last season of time, you know, there's so many unknowns uh, that, that bubbled up in, in 2020. And I'm just thinking a year ago, you know, a year ago, we were not meeting in person. Uh, almost no churches were meeting uh, in person. Uh, most people were working uh, from home or had had their jobs paused. Um, so many questions uh, existed uh, a year ago. And, and one of those questions was financial stability. You know, financial stabilities of our own homes, financial stabilities of our neighbors, our neighborhoods, uh, financial stability of our church, and uh, asking the questions of what, what is it going to look like as these months unfold? Is, is Sojourn uh, going to be okay financially? How can Sojourn be ready to help uh, the potential dozens or hundreds of people that may be in need of financial 
assistance. And uh, those, those questions were, were not small questions. Those were questions that uh, we prayed a lot about, and we were uh, trying our best to align with what we believed God would call us to do. Um, last April, uh, we, if, if you remember this, we, we reduced our budget down to what we considered to be the bare bones, just the absolute minimum of what, of what we needed to, to meet our, our, uh, our expenses. And then we shared with you as a congregation any dollar that came in over that amount. And I think we got our budget down to $39,000 for the month of April last year. And we said anything that comes in over thirty-nine dollars is going to go into a, a mercy fund. Uh, and you, in your uh, beautiful generosity, uh, gave uh, about $80,000 last, uh, last April. And so uh, over half of that went, went into, a, into a mercy fund. And, um, and that was just the, uh, the beginning of, a, of just a, a beautiful demonstration of uh, your attention and your care for and your commitment to the mission of God um, uh, here, here at Sojourn. And uh, so many of you just faithfully gave throughout, throughout 2020, even with a lot of questions uh, in your own life and in your own finances. And so to, the, to those of you who gave regularly over this last year, you know, we, we, uh, we want to thank you again. We, we, if you were at our annual members meeting, you know, we, we shared some of the more specific details. But just thank you for your partnership in, in the gospel. Uh, we, we recognize that this, this last year has blown up everything. Uh, so many of the, uh, like almost every initiative that we thought we were going to pursue in 2020 uh, was shifted or paused or canceled. Um, and so as we, as we look at our situation, you know, we say God has done some incredible things. In our church uh, right now, April of 2021, uh, our church is turning 99. This is like our 99th birthday. And as we look in the rearview mirror, you know, we just celebrate the fact that God has done some incredible things uh, through this church. Uh, we've had our problems. We've had a, you know, a lot of issues that where God has demonstrated his faithfulness uh, to us in spite of us. Uh, but we also recognize that he has done some, some great things through this church over these 99 years. Uh, we, we believe that he is doing some, some amazing things right now. And the stories that we hear from, from our flourish groups and our D groups and some community groups that are still meeting, uh, individual conversations, people that are actively sharing uh, their, uh, their faith with uh, others around them, uh, these are, are deep encouragements to us. Uh, and then we also, we believe that God uh, is going to do some amazing things uh, through this church. And, you know, when we say through this church, it's a little bit of a complicated thing because uh, it depends maybe a little bit on your perspective. But um, when we say this church, we are talking corporately. We are talking this reality that we have an opportunity to kind of, in a sense, pool our resources. We have some ministries that we organize. Uh, you, you contribute financially, and we're able to support uh, a handful of missions initiatives around the world. Uh, to share the gospel. We, we do mercy uh, initiatives. And in that sense, we can do more together than we could uh, by ourselves. But when we say about the impact, when we reference the impact of this church, we're not just talking about the collective. We're not just talking about a, a, a corporate impact, like just us getting together and doing something official. We're, we're also saying that in, in, in uh, maybe less than an hour, we're, we're, you know, we're going to leave this building and, and, and we're going to scatter. And in an hour or two hours, if you think about the, the opportunity, the strategy of this, in, in two hours, we, we have way more opportunity to be uh, in, in, uh, engaged in God's work in Traverse City. We're going to be scattered all over the place, 
all kinds of streets and neighborhoods, all kinds of different circles of, of influence. And so as we talk about what God's doing in our church, we're not just talking about the stuff that goes on our website or the stuff that ends up in our bulletin. We're talking about us as free agents. Uh, as the church gathers, it's beautiful. As the church scatters, in some ways, that, that's just as beautiful uh, as we are, are these little lights that scatter all over our city and, uh, and have incredible opportunity to, to bless our neighbors, to love our neighbors, to share the gospel uh, with those who have not yet heard. And so we are, we are excited about the future. Um, you know, and, and I, I know you know this, but, or at least most of you do. You know, if, if, if God's people don't contribute to God's work, then like, it, 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 it has a dramatic impact on our ability um, to pursue various initiatives and to equip you uh, as, we, as we scatter. So again, thank you for your partnership. I say some of those things because uh, it is pretty common when a pastor gets up and the word money is anywhere in the title of the sermon that people get a little nervous and they're kind of wondering what's going to be the ask, uh, what's the big initiative, what's the building project or the campaign, or you know, where's the pledge cards, like, what, what's, what's the hit going to be? Uh, with, with this, you know, where, where's, where's Matt going to try to get us to give? And uh, I guess I wanted to give you that update in part because I wanted to give it, but also I wanted to use that to say this sermon isn't about Sojourn's finances, and there is not a pledge card hiding uh, in, the, in the seat in front of you waiting for your signature. Um, this literally is the, uh, the, uh, the opportunity for us to hold up the issue of money uh, to hold it up and let the light of the gospel shine upon it. Uh, our, our goal today is for us to see how the gospel changes, how we interact with money. In a sense, how we see money. And this passage in 1 uh, Timothy chapter 6 is a, is a beautiful uh, place to, to do that. So before I get into the specifics of 1 Timothy chapter 6, let, let, let me just walk you through, uh, maybe if you're a regular attender here, maybe you're familiar with this language. Uh, but for the first point, I want to talk about the idols of our hearts. When we worship something other than God, the Bible calls it an idol. Uh, and we respond to idols in three ways. We love them, we trust them, and we obey them. That, that, that's that's the, the human heart posture or response to an idol. You love it, you trust it, and you obey it. Uh, interestingly, those are the exact same three ways that the Bible would call us to respond to the God of heaven, to love him, to trust him, to obey him. And so when something other than the God of the Bible is on the throne of our hearts, the Bible refers to it as an idol, as a false God, a false savior, because our hearts do the same thing with those idols that the Bible says we should be doing with the true God of heaven. So our subject today, you know, if we're honest uh, and if you're honest, if you look around, uh, we see people loving, trusting, and obeying money all the time. But if you're observing this, you might also see that not everybody who serves the master of money does it the same way. Some people use money to control their world. Maybe you've seen this before. Uh, the, the people who engage money this way typically do not spend very much of their money. They, 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 very, they you know, often live very modestly, and, and they're committed to saving. They're, they're committed to investing. Very, very cautious, very, very guarded. Ultimately, 
That, that, that approach makes them feel very, very secure. Others use money to gain approval. It might be the approval of social acceptance, or it could be the approval of, of looking a certain way. Um, but the, this, this group actually often does spend a lot of money. They actually tend to spend their money on themselves. Uh, they tend to spend their money in lavish ways, ways that garner the, the attention that they are looking for. Uh, ultimately, they use their money to feel accepted by others. You, you see, in both of the, and there's more, but in both of these cases, money is an idol, but the behavior is really, really different. And you might say, well, why, why is that? Why is it that someone gets money and they basically dig a hole and hide it in that hole? And other, another person gets money and, and they, they, they use money and it's like, it's out there. They're putting it out there. They want everybody to know that they have it. Uh, when, when we lived in Columbus, Ohio, uh, there was a very, very high-end golf, uh, uh, golf club. And uh, it was the, the, the amount to, to, that you had to pay a lump sum fee to join. And then you had annual dues. And it was just intensely expensive. And, and one of the stories that broke was the, uh, the, the, the uh, gymnastics that some people would go through to keep their membership. They would be going through extreme financial uh, trauma. And they would do everything they could to keep their membership at that golf course because that was a sign, like that was an outward sign of acceptance. And so there were actually some stories of, of people who had mansions with no furniture. They, 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 they had the house, they had, but there's no furniture. They, could, they couldn't afford the furniture in their house. But the external appearance, you know, they kept the golf membership because the external appearance uh, was what they were after. So why, why the difference of, of engagement? Why do they handle their money so differently? Well, the reason is a lot of counselors uh, use this term. A guy named David Pallison, I think, is, is, is at least one of the first ones that, that, that uh, entered into this language. And, and he calls money typically a surface idol. He says that it, it, it's a surface idol. And he has two categories, surface idols and deep idols. And he says, you know, whether you realize it or not, money is usually a surface idol. Now, what's a surface idol? A surface idol is something that you think you want, but the reason you want it is actually as a means to something else. That's the thing that you really want. And so you look at it, this is what our culture offers us often. It says, what you really want, money can get that for you. So you want to feel secure? Money can get you there. Just get a lot of it. Get a lot of it. Save it. Don't spend it. Like, just protect it. Make wise investments, stick in it for the long haul, defend, you know, protect it, and, and, and like money can get you, money can get you that ultimate idol. Money's the surface idol. The deep idol, though, is security. Like, I want, I want to feel secure. Or appearance, as we just said. You know, how can I feel accepted? How can I have the appearance with, with the people that I want their approval? Well, our, our culture says money can get you there. Join the right golf club. Buy the right house drive the right car, have the right look. And if you do, then you can get what you're actually after, approval. So money often functions like a surface idol, and maybe there's a way in which you can observe it uh, in, in your own life or in the life of, of someone near you. And it is why people use money so differently. They are trying to get something with their money. They love, trust, and obey their money, but money is not actually what they most want. 
So how, how do we deal with the, the idol of money? Well, you have to get deeper than money. Usually, you have to get deeper than money. See, our discussion about money is not actually about money. It's, it's about the desires of our hearts. And the Bible makes the case, this case several times in a bunch of different places. Uh, if you're familiar with the Gospels and you've read the words of Jesus, uh, you, you are aware then that Jesus talks often about money because Jesus is well aware of the, the, the temptation of money, the wooing of money. And so if you think it's just capitalism, if you think it's just the ills of the West, if you think it's just the ills of America, well... Jesus was talking 2,000 years ago on a different continent. And he says, like, there's, there's some concerns. Like, turn on the lights. Pay attention. There's some dangers with money. So I want to look today, uh, not, not at Jesus' words, but what, what, what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And what I want us to see is that Paul is going to tell us that money is a trap. Money's a trap. What do I mean? Well, take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is a letter. It's a letter from Paul. Paul was uh, this, this great missionary uh, who started a whole bunch of churches and who God used to, to expose a lot of people to the truth of the gospel. Many, many people came to faith uh, through Paul's ministry. Uh, and he wrote this letter. Uh, he actually wrote a couple letters. Uh, we have 1 Timothy in our Bibles and 2 Timothy in our Bibles. And these are letters that Paul wrote to uh, a, a young guy that he was mentoring. And Timothy is a pastor. And in these letters, 1 and 2 Timothy, we see Paul giving him advice. And he's giving him advice on all kinds of things. And as you can see in your Bible, chapter 6 is the last chapter of this first letter. And so there's a lot that Paul has already said to Timothy. And as we come to verse 6, he has just talked to Timothy. If your Bible has subtitles, you might be able to see this pretty easily. But as we come to verse 6, right before that, he has just talked to Timothy about the danger of false teachers. Now he turns his attention and addresses a false hope, the false hope of money. As you get to verses 9 and 10, this is what Paul says. He, he, wants, to, he wants to talk or think about those who desire to be rich. Now, he doesn't say to those who are rich. He says to those who desire to be rich. This is affirming, and I may say this a couple times today, that money itself is not bad. Being wealthy itself is not bad. As you read through the Bible, you are going to run into wealthy people that God uses, and he does not rebuke them for being wealthy. There's actually a number of occasions where God blesses them or God is at work in their life to add to their wealth. So, so wealth itself is not a problem. Money itself is not a problem. Abraham, Job, uh, in Jesus' life, a guy named Joseph of, Joseph of Arimathea uh, was, was a wealthy man who owned a tomb, and that's where they buried Jesus. It's like God does not spend the Bible rebuking people for having money. Money itself is not bad. Being rich itself is not bad. But, but the Bible would also say this, watch out. Because money is whispering promises. Money is wooing your affections. So this means whether you have a lot and want more or whether you don't have very much and want more, Paul's talking to you. Paul does not limit his argument to those who have a high net worth. The trap is not about your net worth. The trap is about your heart. 
What happens to those who desire to be rich? Well, he goes on to say they fall into temptation or into a snare. There, there you go, the snare. That, that's, that's a word that's, it's, uh, it, the Greek word is, is referring to a trap. Money is not bad, but money is a trap. Money is dangerous. In verse 10, he goes on to say that the love of money, see? The love of money. He doesn't say money is the root of all evil. He says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. And then in verses 9 and 10, boy, it gets pretty severe. He says that those who desire to be rich fall into a snare, uh, senseless, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Uh, he calls it a root of evil. He says that there's a craving that causes people to wander away from the faith, that they actually pierce themselves with many pangs, with many pains or tri trials. Isn't that interesting language? They pierce themselves? He, he, he's raising the flag. He's, he's saying, watch out. If your heart longs for money, watch out. It's not safe there. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to be rich. But watch your heart. If your heart desires it, watch out. I mean, honestly, th th those verses should rattle us. That those who desire to be rich have wandered away from the faith? They've pierced themselves? Senseless and harmful desire that plunge people into these bad conditions. But don't you want to be rich? Greed, greed's been a big problem for a really long time. And it's a problem today. And the stats show that most people want to be rich. And maybe you saw the headline that Bernie Madoff just died. Bernie Madoff uh, had a $65 million uh, uh, a billion dollars, uh, a $65 billion Ponzi scheme. You know, and uh, there's a, 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 a movie that was made. It's not really a documentary. It's, it's just, it's, it's a movie on him uh, called the, the Wizard of Lies. And uh, they, they reenact an interview that he had. And this is a quote actually from him. But he said that when asked about like kind of how he got there, how he allowed himself to go down this this long road of, of lies. You know, one of the things that he said was, everyone was greedy. I just went along. And then he, he recounts the fact that, I think it was in 1987, there was a dip in the market. And when that dip happened, a whole bunch of people pulled money from him. And he, he lost a large amount of net worth. And he felt like they betrayed him. He felt like, hey, I've, I've managed your money. I've taken care of you. And then the market dip. What am I supposed to do? But you lose a little bit of money and you pull all of your cash and then you left me hung out there. And in his mind, that's when he concluded that if he wanted to keep his quote-unquote greedy clients, then he could never lose money again. He, he needed to devise a way to where he would not have big losses to where he could, in a sense, guarantee the annual return. That's where he started the charade. And guess what happened from, you know, from the late 80s till, till uh, 2008, that 20-year that window? It, it, the investments came flying. And he says, very few people asked me a lot of questions. They just wanted the returns. They, they just wanted the money. Now, Bernie Madoff is defending himself. He's blame-shifting. Bernie's got problems. But I don't think Bernie's wrong. Everybody was greedy, and I just went along. Research shows that almost everyone wants to be rich, and yet Paul says, watch out, 
it might not be what you think it is. You want to hear something shocking? The Bible refers to money as a curse more often than the Bible refers to money as a blessing. That doesn't seem to play real well in the American mind, does it? Money can't do what you think it can do. In the end, it really is a surface idol. Money, if you let it rule your heart, if you give your life to it, if you love it, trust it, and obey it, if you're using it in order to get that thing, that you, what, it can't deliver that. It's whispering lies to you. It's wooing your affections. It can't deliver what it's saying it can deliver. It will disappoint you, and worse, it will trap you. So, what does Paul say? Like, just that's it? Warning and that's it? No, Paul has a lot to say um, in, in these, in these uh, 15 verses. So l- look at what he says in the lead up to verses 9 and 10. I, 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 you heard these read uh, a moment ago. But in verses 6 through 8, he starts off by saying this. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. There is great gain in godliness with contentment. Now why does he say that? Well, back up a few more verses. In verses 2 through 5, Paul is talking about false teachers. And along with a bunch of the issues that false teachers have, he concludes by saying, these false teachers, they think that godliness is a means to gain. That godliness is a means to prosperity. So part of what Paul's saying is, hey, these false teachers that are out there, they're trying to tell you that if you obey God, you'll get monetary benefit. There will be this prosperity. There will be this, this gain. And so then he comes and says in verse 6, there is gain, but it's not the gain you think. It's not the gain that they're telling you. Now, if you were to turn on your TV this afternoon and catch one of the many, many Sunday sermons that are uh, broadcast on the television, uh, you may, uh, you would likely run into a preacher who it would be in the category of a prosperity gospel preacher, where they, 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 they say these things these things. They they tell you that if you give to God, then God will give more money to you. They say things like, sow your seed and reap your harvest. You give, if you'll send me a check of of $100, I'll pray over that check of $100. And if you don't see a blessing in the next 90 days, blah, blah, blah. Maybe you've heard that. If you haven't, God bless you and throw your TV away. It's it's present. And the, the very teachers and the very truths that Paul is confronting Uh, abound uh, in in our moment. And so that's when he gets to verse 6. He's like, no, no, there is great gain in in following God. There there is great gain in godliness, but not like you're thinking. And so the first thing he says is this, there's great gain in godliness if it's accompanied by contentment. Verses 7 and 8, look at what he says. He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we we will be content. And so he says, look, the gain that comes in following God, the gain that comes in receiving godliness from God himself, that gain is not dollars. It doesn't mean that God couldn't end up giving you monetary gain. He's saying that that's not what we're after, that you're shooting too low. It's way better than you could ever think. And he's just basically saying, like, all this stuff, you can't take that with you. You think that's the best God's got? You think that the gain in godliness is dollars? You think it's, 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 it's you know, great food or great clothes or a great house? That stuff is worthless in the end. 
That stuff, it, that, it's, it's empty. You think that that's what the God of heaven's got? How do you avoid the trap of money? You need contentment. That's, that's part of what Paul is inviting here. Then in verse 9, he talks about the problems with those who desire to be rich, as we already touched on. So, you know, none of us should be rich. No! That's, he's not saying none of us should be rich. He's just simply saying he's raising the flag. He's, he's, he's making us aware. But jump down to verses 17 through 19. He says, as for the rich, as for the rich. See, Paul is talking to rich Christians. Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, when you engage rich Christians, Pastor Timothy, when you're, when you're sitting with people in your church and some of them are going to be wealthy. So as for, as for the rich, as for those rich Christians, See, listen, if God mandated that all of his people had to be poor, then think about the portions of society that would have no Christian witness. You know, just a few minutes ago, I talked about the fact that at the end of this service, we are going to get in our cars and we're going to scatter around this area. Well, what if every quote-unquote wealthy neighborhood had no Christians in it? That, that no wealthy people had any Christian neighbors? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be tragic in the world? Wouldn't it be tragic for, for rich people to not have Christian friends? Wouldn't it be tragic for poor people to not have Christian friends? Wouldn't it be, poor, wouldn't it be tragic for, for middle-class people to not have Christian friends? God's not against economic classes. So he's not saying that it's wrong to be rich. But just as there was instruction for those who desire to be rich, there are some instructions for those who actually are rich. And here's the three that he points to in verses 17 through 19. Actually, before I do that, we probably need to say this. How do you decide if you are rich? <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, every, everybody wants to be rich, but guess what? Nobody thinks that they are rich. I, I heard a story from Tim Keller one time. He was asked to, to do this series of teaching uh, at, a, at, a, at a, a breakfast, uh, a series of breakfasts, and he was teaching on the seven deadly sins. And when they pitched the idea to him and he agreed to it, his wife said to him, I'm going to tell you right now, the least attended breakfast will be the breakfast on greed. And, you know, he does the first few, and then eventually he gets to the deadly sin of greed, and he, uh, he, he gets there, and sure enough, it is, the, it is the lowest attended uh, breakfast. And then it hit him. And he realized, you know what? It's not that they think that they were going to get convicted. It's that they didn't think it was a problem. They don't think that they're greedy. Nobody thinks that they're rich. And part of the reason is, is because I guarantee you that no matter how much money you make, you have not just, not just you know somebody, you have a friend who's richer than you. And so you, you, you position yourself in this sense where it's like, oh no, like when I was young, I thought this was rich, but trust me, like now I know what really rich is. See, see, how, see how that works in, in our minds? Everybody wants to be rich. Nobody thinks that they're rich. Well, let me remind you that regardless of where you're at, if you're in this room, you are absolutely top 10% in the world. And most of us in this room are in the top half percent in the world. That means that 99.5 people out of 100, you're richer than them in the world. So if you're one of the people, which would in some ways would be understandable, but if you're one of the people that really gets worked up about the top 1%, those one percenters, 
Well, guess what? You're, you're the one percenter. Globally speaking, you are a one percenter. And when you look at the top one percent in the U.S. and you see them spend their money and you're like, oh, so frivolous. I mean, I just saw some, you know, it, it, it was uh, something on, on, uh, on, on social media. And, and a guy, a, a, it was actually a pastor. That's a whole other story. But he was, he was wearing like a $2,200 jacket. A $2,200 jacket. And it's just like, who has margin to buy a $2,200 jacket? Well, guess what? The world looks at us like that. The world looks at us like that. So when we say, here's Paul telling Timothy, Timothy, here's the counsel I want you to give to rich people. Listen, we need, we need to listen well here. Because globally speaking, whether you feel that way or not, you are in that category. We are in that category. And here are the three that he points to in verses 17 through 19. As for the rich, charge them not to be haughty. That means be humble. Be, be a humble learner. Don't, don't, like, watch out for the arrogant spirit. Being rich can make you deluded. You know, the, one of the reasons why Americans are experienced as uh, so, uh, so arrogant you know, is, is because the way we parade around the world, it actually causes, we have a lot of elitism. We show up in these nations that don't have good infrastructure, and we just naturally think of ourselves as a little bit better. We have our act together. And this can happen in all kinds of ways. You, you can look at your money and think, you know, something like, since I'm skilled at my career, I'm actually skilled at everything. Since I'm rich, I'm actually knowledgeable about everything. And Paul says, watch out. Be a humble learner. Take the seat of the, of the learner. Be one who actually recognizes that there's a ton more that you need to learn in the world. Second, be active in good works. Verse 18, uh, the rich are to do good, to be rich in good works. Uh, the rich often write generous checks. Uh, many of you contribute to our church here on a weekly or monthly basis. But we are not excused from action. It's great for, for, for people who, for, for, for the rich to write checks. That, that's a beautiful thing. But you're not excused from action. The rich should be serving the Lord with their hands and their feet. There, there, there should be an engagement with the world around us to do good and to be rich in good works. And then number three, to be generous and ready to share. That's what he says in the second half of verse 18. To be generous and, and ready to share. Look, here's, here's a phrase that's, that's a pretty, pretty powerful one. Generosity is not measured by how much you give, but by how much you have left. Generosity is not measured by how much you give, but by how much you, but, but by how much you have left. Remember Paul talking about this, this snare in verse 9, this trap? Well, it's a trap that actually is used to catch birds. And there's two interesting dynamics about this trap. One is it's hidden. Pretty appropriate that Paul would use that term. It's a hidden trap. Paul's saying, watch out for greed. Watch out for the desire for riches. It's a trap and it's hidden. You don't see it coming. The second thing is this. This trap was a little noose. What, what happens when you try to get out of a noose? Just tightens down, right? Try to pull yourself out of a noose, it gets tighter and tighter. You might think of it this way. A mouse trap just kills you. A mouse trap, just, you're done. But this, this trap, it's a noose that tightens and tightens and tightens. What happens with money, is, as one writer said, is that what, what was once a luxury 
becomes a necessity. What was once an add-on becomes something that you have to have. You can't imagine life without it. And the noose gets tighter and tighter. You see what Paul's saying by the trap? For the Christian, we're being warned here. We're being warned to not let luxuries become necessities. That, that's one strategy for helping you stay content. Um, there, there should be a growing distance between how we could live and how we actually do live. You, you understand that, that idea? That, that what, what, what you could do and what you actually do do, especially for a Christian, that that, that, should, be a, that should be a growing gap. That you're recognizing that as you have more money and less debt, your generosity should be picking up. And there's tons of things that you could choose to do that you choose not to do because you actually want to you you give your money away. You actually want to be part of what God is doing in the world. In the Old Testament, we see the people of Israel called to give an offering called the tithe. And the word tithe means a tenth. And so if you've been taught that you should give 10% of your money, that's where it's coming from, is this word tithe. And this idea, it's not repeated in the New Testament, but this idea in the Old Testament, this idea of giving 10% of your money to God's work in the world, it's one strategy that you can apply to not let money own you. Think about it this way. The Bible in the Old Testament seems to be indicating if you can't give 10% of your money away, you might have a problem. Can, can you give 10% of your money away to God's work in the world? If you can't, you might want to ask, some, ask yourself some questions. You might not be able to get to 10% overnight. You, you might realize, like, whoa, like, we are actually spending more than we make. So, so maybe it's a, it's a smaller percentage for now. But some, some sort of a step towards saying generosity stirs in my heart a recognition of God's goodness to me. It actually helps me develop a content heart. I get to be part of something bigger than myself, and it will help me avoid the trap of money. So how in the world do you find contentment? Verses 7 and 8 are kind of hard to apply, aren't they? Uh, I mean, we were born naked. <laughs> you're you're, you're going to die without clothes. Like, what, what am I supposed to do? Is two shirts too many? Is, you know, is too much food in my cabinet too much? Like, how do you apply verses 7 and 8? If, if, if Paul's saying, you know, you can't take this stuff, well, he, he, here's what I would say. How do you fight contentment? you you got to change what you worship. you got to change what you value. you got to change what you long for. In verses 11 through 16, which you heard read earlier, right in the middle there, verse 12, it says, take hold of eternal life. In verse 17, it talks about setting our hope on God. What, what, is, what is Paul pointing to? He's talking about the gospel. In, in another one of Paul's letters, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this is what he says about Jesus. He says, Jesus, who was rich in, 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 in un, incomprehensible riches in heaven, he became poor so that you and I could become rich in the only way that matters. Jesus, who was inconceivably rich, became poor so that you and I could become rich in the only way that matters. You, you, you have got to see that what Jesus did for you in giving up all of his riches of heaven and giving up everything to where he died in borrowed clothes and was buried in a borrowed tomb, that Jesus gave up all of that so that you could be, you could be brought in to the family of God, so that you could have the riches of God, of God's uh, spiritual riches poured upon you. 
See, Jesus became poor so that you could become rich in the only way that matters. What, what God offers his people is so much better than more dollars. It's so much better than material goods. Paul says, like, like you're, you're aiming too low. God has something way better. Paul says, we're born naked, we're going to die naked. But guess what the gospel says? When you die, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you actually die clothed in, in the robes of Christ. That you actually die clothed in Jesus' righteous robe. And we do take that with us. We, that, that, that does go with us into eternity. Jesus is the only way. He's the only way to true wealth, the wealth of eternity. And boy, oh boy, is Paul not right. There is great gain in godliness when we're not entrapped by money, but when we're not entrapped by anything. When our hearts are actually, when our allegiance and our love is given to the one God uh, in his good gospel news. You want to be generous? You got to be content. You want to be content? You have to see the magnitude of what has been provided for you in Christ. And it changes the way you think about green pieces of, of money, you know, green pieces of paper. It, it, you, you stop looking to them to say, can they, can they comfort me? Can they give me security? Can they give me approval? The answer is no. And it frees, the, it, it frees your grip on them because you actually realize that Jesus offers you security, that Jesus gains for you the only approval that matters. Brothers and sisters, we do not need more. That's the message of the gospel. You actually don't need more. Isn't that crazy? And it loosens your hands. Money is an idol. Money is a trap. But money or the lack of money is not the problem. Regardless of how you use it, your use will always be based on who the master of your heart is. Paul says, don't put your hope in riches. Put your hope in God. Where's your hope? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this uh, text, and we thank you for this subject. We, we know it can be tender. It can be sensitive. Uh, we can not want people rooting around in our wallets or our bank accounts. Uh, but God, we thank you that the news is, is, is deeper than that. We're actually digging around in our hearts, something far more sensitive, something far more tender. And we thank you that you're, 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 you're walking with us in that journey, that you're actually helping us see and ask the questions of where is the worship of my heart? What is it that I really am longing for? God, would you help me see that Jesus is the one who can bring that to bear? Jesus is the one who can actually answer those deepest questions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.